This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Car. Pass the war quickly. Down to six seconds. Car going down again. And it's Quentin Williams this time for the Jets. And welcome back to another episode of the Cool Your Jets podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Michael, we are two weeks away from the start of NFL for agency. How you feeling, man? I'm feeling really good. The offseason's gone by pretty quickly. We've had a lot of news and rumors to keep us busy. Uh, I've done a lot of work in this free agent class. The Jets have a lot of money to spend, a lot of holes to fill, and I think there are a lot of great players who can help them address some of the many major weaknesses that they have. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, so far it's been a pretty crazy off season, obviously Deshaun Watson taking up the bulk of the news. And this week we've heard about Russell Wilson potentially being on the block. I think, I think conventional wisdom will, will prevail and the jets won't go after either Watson or Wilson, but still just an intriguing storyline to keep an eye out for Maybe they will, maybe they will land. They certainly have the ammunition to, to land one of those guys. Um, but as you said, I mean, it's, it's gone by so fast and it's just a, a crazy time because I think me and you are both very optimistic about the future of the jets. We both trust their management and coaching staff. And I don't think we've been in that position for a while as, as we mentioned, the two big names in the market between Wilson and Watson. And then it's also a crazy free agent class uh, and a really good draft as well. So it's a, it's an awesome time to be a fan. Uh, and so we figured why not just put out a mailbag. We're a day late on this week's podcast. We do apologize, but there's still plenty to, to go over uh, in this week's mailbag. So let's just hop right into it from at Mikey Troy 65 at nightmare scenario. Oh boy. We miss out on the top O-line and edge free agents. So that's Joe Tooney, Brandon Scherf, Taylor Moton, uh, Corey Lindsley, um, and in addition to the edge, Carl Lawson, Trey Hendrickson, etc., who are you then targeting at those positions in free agency and why? I think this is an important question to look at because, I mean, obviously, I think they're going to be way more aggressive than they were last year. And I don't think they're, they are going to miss out on one of the top um, free agent offensive linemen. I think that is their number one um, priority in free agency is to land Joe Tooney or Brandon Scherf or Corey Lindsley. Because if they don't do one of those, I think it's going to be pretty hard to have a successful free agency uh, in our eyes. I mean, Michael, you've, you've talked about it. Maybe you can hop right into it right now that the, the free agency depth at offensive line outside of the top guys, because it's a really top heavy, great class, but outside of that, it's a very weak class. And if they don't get one of those top guys, it's probably going to be a failure. Yeah. At the guard position, you have, you obviously have Sheriff and Tooney. Those two guys are elite. They're both top five on their respective sides. But after that, there's a huge, huge drop off. There's 
pretty much nothing else. Kalecio Semley is <laughs> somewhat intriguing, but that. obviously the Jets are not considering him at all. Beyond him, there's absolutely nothing. You have guys who started some games last year as backups. You have older players. You have some unproven young guys, but no surefire good starters. As bad as the Jets are at guard, if you don't get sure for Tooney, there's no one else out there that is a right. surefire upgrade. So this is a position where it would probably make sense to be really aggressive. It's sometimes smart to be aggressive. And I think this is one of those times the jets have a huge need at guard. They gave up the most pressures at guard in the league last year. And the quarterback position is going to be crucial this year. You're most likely going to have uh, a young player who's really going to need some support, whether that's Sam Darnold, whether it's a rookie, it's probably going to be one of those two. And that guy, hell, hell, even if it's Deshaun Watson or, or Russell Wilson, even if it's Deshaun Watson or, or Wilson, you want to give that guy as much as you can um, coming into this team. And that's where it's all going to start at those guard spots. And there's only two legitimate upgrades that are available on the open market before the draft. Uh, so I think it makes sense for the Jets to be really aggressive to make sure they can get one of those two guys. It, this is where I think cap space can c- come in handy. So you never want to be too wild with your money, but this is a spot where I think it makes sense. Be aggressive. Make sure you do everything you can to get either sure for Tooney. Yeah, I think Joe Douglas isn't going to go all out and try to make this team a contender in one season. I think we know that. I think last offseason was he was kind of tearing it down to the studs. I think this offseason he's going to try to start building it up. And I don't I, I only see him investing free agency money into guys he think he can long-term contributors like Joe Tooney fits that bill perfectly. He hasn't missed a game in five years. He's still relatively young. The interest was there last off season. They obviously have a need. So I don't see a way that the jets don't get Joe Tooney. And of course, because I'm saying that now they're not going to, um, if they do somehow, you know, swing and miss on him, maybe he just doesn't want to be in New York. Maybe Douglas really draws his line in the sand and Tooney gets paid something crazy, like $17 million a year or something. I could maybe understand that. But then I, I just I see him pivoting to sure for Lindsley and I don't see him losing that battle as well. So it's very interesting. I think normally Joe Douglas is not going to be that aggressive in free agency. I think he's going to be aggressive in a certain aspect of trying to improve the team, but he's never going to be a guy who's going to dump a lot of money into big time free agents. And But there are a few specific examples if it can help you long term. And if you have the cap space where it makes sense, Joe Tooney at a position of need and a, a, a premium position in my eyes, offensive line, even though it's the interior um, I think they definitely get that done. The edge is a little more interesting because I and, and then before we get to the edge, I do want to talk about the the Corey Lindsley part of this. Right. I think that is your plan B if you don't get or plan C after Scherf or Tooney and Scherf. Um, but I do think that is a step down mm-hmm. from getting either Tooney or Scherf because I think Connor McGovern can be a top 10 center. He was for the Broncos in 2019 and the second half of this season. Uh, he was just really limited by the guards next to him. It was just the blitz pickups and the stunt pickups and the mental part of it that he struggled with, but he was really good at that in 2019. So it's not as if he can't do that part of the right. game. I think it was really just the guys he's playing next to yeah. that really had the whole communication part messed up. So I think he can be a great center and you can put a great guard next to him. But on the other hand, Corey Lindsley's an elite center. You know, you'll have that, but I'm, I think what it boils down to is Lindsley's an elite center. Sheriff and Tooney are elite guards, but then McGovern, I'm more confident in him at center than guard because we've seen him be an elite center in 2019 and and I think arguably second half of 2020. Uh, but we haven't seen him do that at guard, even though he's played there. He struggled there when he played early in his career for the Broncos. So I'm more confident in him at the center position. So I think 
that Tooney or Scherf is your plan A, but Lindsley is a plan B, I think does make sense. I think McGovern can make that tr- transition effectively. He's played it before. He's improved throughout his career, even though it was at center. Uh, and based on how he played last year, he was he moved really well in the outside zone game. He was great um, in terms of his one-on-one blocking and pass protection. So I think he can do it, but I'm more confident in him at center. But I think that going after Lindsley is probably your plan C after tuning shirt. Yeah, if you can't I, get him, then you're really in trouble. If you can't get any of those three guys. Yeah, I mean, then you go to the tackle spot and you say, well, how can I, we at least make this offensive line better than last year? I think, I think you're right. I think they go with one of the interior guys and I think they probably stick with Fant and then maybe drafting a tackle. Um, but you never know. I could see them maybe going after a guy like Moten or Darrell Williams. Certainly the, the talent is there. And if they miss out on those interior guys, uh, it makes a lot more sense. And and kind of just pivoting back to what you just said about McGovern. I mean, offensive line is the only position group in all sports where, or maybe I shouldn't say all sports, but at least in football, where your performance is directly um, impacted by the guys next to you. I mean, you really can't have it, especially at center. I mean, that position is just so reliant upon guard play and communication and chemistry. And that was one of the concerns entering the season without a preseason with the shortened off season. And I think, I think McGovern definitely struggled with that the first half of the season. I think it was chemistry and also just the talent with the guys he was playing with. So you get a guy like Tooney, I think McGovern's play is going to go up. Same with George Fant's play is going to go up. It's just going to have a ripple effect along that entire offensive line. Um, so it's definitely a big deal to try to get one of those guards. If they do have to go with, with Lindsley, I think he's, he'd be a great addition. And then you try to move McGovern over to guard and see how he does there. Um, but when you look at the edge, I think that's a little bit more interesting because it's a lot more clear cut the path to, to uh, building an offensive line and free agency this year for, for Douglas, it's going to be to get Joe Tooney or to get Brandon Scherf edge. There's a few more trains of thought. I mean, you could, you know, dump your money into a big guy, maybe a loss in shakes free. Maybe you, you go after Hendrickson who, has had a subpar mediocre career up until this past year where he was great. You could, you dump your money to Bud Dupree. You could spread it around, go with a few lower tier options, or maybe you just ignore it like the Jets have done in the last 15 years. Um, but Michael, if they do miss out on that top wave, what do you see Joe Douglas doing? Cause in my opinion, I kind of do, I kind of do think they miss out on the top wave at edge. I think they get their guy in Tooney. Um, but I just, I don't see him paying big bucks to any of these, these um, free agent edge rushers. I think that's the big problem with free agency is, guys at the open market and they get overpaid. And I, I don't see a guy in that edge group outside of maybe Lawson that I think is worth a 15, 16, $17 million deal. Um, and that's the problem with free agency guys are going to get overpaid. So I kind of see them going with somebody under the radar, maybe a Ronnie Blair who, who Robert Sala has talked a lot about. Maybe you go carry Hyder. You've talked about Vinnie Curry. I think they go with a, a, a cheaper option in free agency and then they try to address it probably a pick 23 because i think right now that's currently the board is falling you know it's march 1st but the board is falling in a way that i think there should be a guy either it's Rousseau or jalen phillips or ojalari somebody's gonna be there at 23 and you could take your edge there um but that's kind of my my thinking is i actually do think they miss out on this top wave but if that is the case michael who are some of those guys they can target um to kind of hold the the unit until they get to the draft and then they can try to really make it a, a a much better unit so edge is a lot deeper than the offensive line in terms of op- options uh, at the guard spot and center really as well with Lindsay, although there are some decent centers, but offensive line, if you're not getting one of those three stars, then you're kind of out of luck in terms of looking for an upgrade. But on the edge, there are a lot of good options. If you don't get one of the top guys like Lawson, Okwara, Hendrickson, uh, those guys who are in their prime and also really productive, um, if you don't get one of those guys, there's still a lot of ways you can upgrade your team. 
uh, in different ways. There are a lot of good veteran guys who are in their either late 20s or even a few years into their 30s, but who are still putting up really good pass rush numbers. And you can rely on those guys to for, to have them for a one or two year deal, play some defensive end for you. Maybe it's as a starter, maybe it's as a rotational guy, but they can produce for you at a very above average level and they can hold the fort down while you either try to draft in the later rounds or get someone in the first round to start opposite them. Uh, hold the fort down while you try to build that pipeline over the next few years. I'm talking, there are a few guys who fit this bill. Um, Alden Smith is a good one who he came back this past season, had a really nice year. Everson Griffin, Vinnie Curry, Olivier Vernon. I think Jadevian Clowney is now gonna, going to fit this bill because he had a zero sack season that makes him look like he was really bad, but he was actually still putting up really good numbers in terms of pressures and his run defense. Uh, so he could really get underpaid and someone could get a steal with him on a one-year deal. Obviously health is a problem with him, uh, but he's a very good player. The zero sacks is extremely misleading. I think he's not a superstar by any means, but he's good and he could definitely be an upgrade for this team for sure. And a lot of teams. So those are a few of the guys that sort of pop out fitting that bill, but uh, there are ways, there are quite a few options to where if you don't get one of the top tier edge guys, you could still upgrade while not committing long-term and give yourself the opportunity uh, to develop some younger guys. Yeah. I, I think that's the, 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 the route they're going to go with. I just don't think there's anybody in this, this market that's going to be worth dumping a lot of money into outside of Lawson. I don't even think Lawson hits free agency. Um, I think he's going to, I think Douglas is going to spend his money. I just don't think edge is going to be a position where he dumps a lot of it into. I certainly think they address it. I think this is a, a good draft. Uh, it's a nice deep draft. It's not really a top heavy draft for edge guys, but I think you're going to be able to get a guy 23 uh, maybe you double down and take another guy in round three. I think there's going to be a way to infuse this position group with talent because certainly a Rob solid defense where there's pretty much only four pass rushers at a time. They don't really send a lot of blitzes. You need those four guys to be winning. It's a different style of defense. It's a four, three, and not a three, four. So there's, you know, inherent, there's some inherent work that you have to do there already. Um, I just think it's going to be more towards the draft where, where Douglas starts to, to invest uh, in that edge spot. Um, from at sports underscore fiend uh, with the E as a three, if Deshaun Watson is our quarterback in 2021, what is your projected win total for the team? And what deal would you both ultimately agree um, with to bring him to gangrene? So I guess we have to agree on one deal. Um, I guess we start there. I mean, what do you think is a fair, we did it on the the last episode with the, the trade similar, but what do you think is, is Deshaun Watson ultimately goes for? And what do you think is a fair offer for Joe Douglas? Keeping in mind that I don't think, Douglas is going to be distracted by the eye candy of Deshaun Watson. I mean, certainly it's, if the opportunity is there, you certainly have to explore it. He's a franchise quarterback. He's one of the best and most dynamic quarterbacks in the entire league. But I, I think Douglas is a guy who is very set in his way on sticking to his plan. He knows it's going to work and don't get distracted and trying to make it a win now team when it's not. So I think it's going to have to take a, a really good offer for the jets to go after Watson, in my opinion, I don't think they're going to overpay for him, which is why I don't think Deshaun Watson's going to be the Jets quarterback because I think a team like Carolina is going to just throw five first round picks at him um, and, and try to lure him away. Michael, what do you think is a fair deal for Deshaun Watson from a Jets perspective? And then we'll talk about maybe what type of team he, he would be entering with the Jets. I think for me, I'm definitely on the side of being more willing to be aggressive to get him. I think. A lot of fans are sort of not that it's wrong. It's just a matter of opinion. But I think a lot of fans are being a little conservative with how much they want to give up for him. And for me, I sort of am willing to give up in not insane package, but a really big one to get him. Just we don't even have a comparable 
trade to look at in league history in terms of a guy this valuable being traded a 25 year old top five quarterback who's a guy who can really lift up his entire team that's what he's been doing in spite of the win total um that texans team this past year had a very bad defense bad offensive line they had some problems at receiver they do do have some talented guys but they were injured a lot of the year he's throwing to chad hansen at the end of the season and he still put up some of the best numbers in the league led the league in yards per attempt led the league in total yards he's near the top in pretty much everything he's an amazing player there's no comparison and he instantly changes your entire team so to me he's worth if you have to give up three first round picks and a second round pick if even I, I love Quinn Williams. I love Quinn and Williams. But if you have to give up Quinn and Williams and you could keep your future first round picks, like some of these trades that have been suggested on Twitter, I think there was one that was something, it was something like both of the first round picks this year, second rounder and Quinn and Williams. Maybe that was one of the, the ones suggested for Russell Wilson, but like either way, um, I feel like I'd be willing to do that. It's just a quarterback, yeah. a franchise quarterback. Going, going to be 26 this year you know you know for sure he's a top five quarterback absolutely 100 percent. it's not like you're drafting quarterback that has a 20 30 percent chance of hitting even if you're at the top of the draft those are your odds um it's not like you're signing um a stock or not like you're sticking with darnold and you're hoping he maybe becomes good you're getting a 100 percent elite quarterback who could be your quarterback for the next 10 years so i think he's worth a lot more than a lot of people are willing to give up i don't know if he actually will go for that much depending on how the texans handle it but for me personally i'm willing to be very aggressive to get him i think for i like three first round picks at least and maybe throw in a second rounder i'd probably be willing to do that if that's what takes maybe even four honestly because i think he is that valuable that's just how i see it if you're not willing to be that aggressive. That's perfectly fine. I totally uh, you know, see uh, that look, side of here's, it. Here's, okay, here's what I think. I think that the Jets certainly can outbid everybody, but I just don't think they will. I just think that the, right. what you just right. proposed. I don't, I don't think they will do that. I what, what you just doesn't proposed, seem like what they're going to do. What you just proposed, I would certainly agree to. And I think Joe Douglas would probably concede that as well. I just think that you're going to look at a team like Carolina, how like even just a random team like Las Vegas or Chicago, there's going to be so many teams that once it becomes, once that Adam Schefter com- tweet comes out that says the Texans are, are listening to offers for Watson, maybe that won't ever come. Maybe it'll just, the, the trade will get announced or, or, or whatnot. Just, be, just because the Texans are, are, or Deshaun Watson's requesting a trade from the Texans doesn't mean um, that he has all the leverage. The Texans still have to make the trade. They still have the leverage. And as you saw with the Jets trade last year with Jamal Adams, it doesn't really affect the trade that much if a player requests a trade. Jamal Adams was literally going public. I mean, the Jets had no choice and they still got two firsts. Um, I think the Texans are in a similar situation where they don't have much of a choice. I think they are going to trade him. Um, I just think you're going to get a team like Carolina who's going to just offer when we talk about a godfather deal. I mean, I, I think it's going to be the biggest trade in NFL history easily. I don't think this is going to be a, a DeAndre Hopkins situation where he goes for way less than expected. I think Deshaun Watson's going to fetch five first round draft picks. I mean, maybe even more so. I think he's going to just get an insane amount of capital in return where the Texans feel comfortable saying yes. And the other team feels comfortable because they're getting everything you just talked about. And yes, the jets picks are more valuable, but I look, I, I just I think the Texans are going to understand that if they trade Deshaun Watson, they'll have a long-term rebuild. And getting- I do think a really interesting factor in this is that if Wilson gets traded first, if that does happen, then you're talking about the Seahawks picks looking or their first-round pick next year 
looking very attractive. Well, that's what I was going to I was I, mean, I wasn't going to mention in the terms of Deshaun Watson trade, but Russell Wilson getting traded as long as it's not to the Dolphins is the best thing that could happen to the Jets this offseason because that pick next year. I mean, look, the, the Seahawks this year without Russell Wilson, I think would be a six or seven win team. I mean, they were a good offense, but they were a terrible defense. They have some pieces. So they're not going to be a, a horrible team, but that team is upheld by uh, by Russell Wilson. So I just don't. Yeah, but I don't think the Seahawks trade him. And then circling back to Deshaun, I just think that the the price is going to get too steep. I think if the Texans are trading Deshaun Watson, they know that they're going to be rebuilding. And I don't think getting a new young quarterback is necessarily going to be their their top priority. I think they're going to say they're going to take the most picks and the Panthers are still going to be a top 10 draft pick this year. I get that the Jets have the number two overall pick and that will hold more weight. So maybe it depends on the Texans way. I just feel like some team is going to come in over the top with some five or six first round draft pick offer, some Godfather offer that the Texans just can't refuse. And they'll take that. And I just, that's not Joe Douglas's style. I'm not saying he's not going to be aggressive at times. I think he will be, but I think he's a guy who just draws his line in the sand and isn't going to go over it. I think, I think he'll offer three first round picks, a second, and maybe a player, maybe Sam Darnold. Um, and then, you know, he's not going to go above that. And so I just don't see him being the quarterback of the jets, but if he was, Michael, what type of what type of record do you think the Jets would have? Because you just alluded to the fact that he's been holding up Houston. He's certainly be coming into a place in, in New York where he'd have to hold up because they'd be giving up some assets to help improve the team. Even if they were to use all the assets they currently have right now, there's still holes in this team. So if you're going to take away some to build it around Watson, it's not going to be a perfect team. I think they'll be well coached next year. What what type of team do you think they will be? I mean, what type of team do you think Joe Douglas can surround Deshaun Watson with? And what type of record do you think they'll finish with? It's always tough to project win totals in terms of how much one player affects it. Because just look at the Texans last year. Watson was as good as it gets, and the Texans still only won four games, which says a lot about how much of a team sport it is. Um, because wins really aren't a quarterback stat at all. The quarterback has the most effect on that number of any one player, but they still don't have a lot of effect on it because there's 53 guys on the roster. They can't control everything. It's, it still takes a whole team. But I do think that he is someone who can add at least at least three to four wins to your team as a floor. Like if you put him on last year's Jets team, how many games do you think they win? I would say they win probably six or seven, at least just by going uh, from Sam Darnold and Joe Flacco to him. What like look at it from that perspective? What do you think? How many yeah. games would they've won last year with Watson? Probably the same. Yeah, but are we willing to say that the Jets are better than the Texans? I mean, because their what that defense comes down is to. a lot better. Their defense is a lot better for sure. The yeah, Texans and if you terrible have defense. Yeah, um, okay. yeah, I would probably say six, about six wins. In the four games the Texans won, they scored at least twenty-seven points in all of them, and barely won three, uh, two of them. So they easily could have been a one or two-win team without Watson. And they were very close to winning a lot of other games too. With well, okay, here's the thing: if the Jets trade for Watson, which I don't think they'll do, we've established that. But if they do, I, Joe Douglas is going all the way. I mean, he's going all in for a Super Bowl. I mean, if you trade for a, right. a guy like Watson, you're, you're going in to win a Super Bowl. I don't think the Jets are winning a Super Bowl this year, but if everything breaks their way and you get an elite quarterback like Watson, maybe you can win it the following year. Um, so I think they go all out and they're going to sign a guy on free agency at receiver. I think they'll probably go after Tooney. I mean, they're going to really you know, deplete the cap space and really go for it. So I do think if, if Watson walks in here, this is a playoff team. I do, I do think that they'll go for it. I believe in the coaching staff too, and I think that has something to do with the win total because I also think that it's not just the 53 guys, it's the coaching staff. And I think the Texans had one of the worst last year. 
Um, I don't know how much better it got uh, in Houston this year, but I certainly believe in Rob Sala and Matt LaFleur or Mike LaFleur, excuse me. We, we, I mean, we haven't seen him on the field yet, but I, I feel pretty confident in that staff. So I would say they're a nine or 10 win team with Watson this year, right off the bat, because I think you're getting Watson. And I think Douglas is going to go all in on free agency in the draft. And they still have enough assets to build the team up a little bit. And like you said, if he's already adding three or four wins, I think Douglas by himself can build the team up with Sala to a five or six win team. You had Watson. I think that's a nine or 10 win team. So I, I think they're a playoff team with Watson next year. If everything goes according to plan, nobody gets injured and, and Douglas and Sala, who I think they are, I think they're a nine or 10 uh, playoff team. Yeah, I agree. I think that's around where you'd put it. Like, like you said, they're going to be, if you do get Watson, I think they're going to change their mindset a little bit and be a lot more aggressive. It doesn't mean you have to win right now because a big part of his appeal is that he can be your quarterback for the next five or at least the duration of his contract plus hopefully much longer than that um so it's not like you're necessarily going all in for one year but you're also giving up all those picks you're going to have to make up for that value in some way and that's where you start to be aggressive in free agency in the trade market uh, to find other ways to build the talent pool in your roster so i think they would be a lot more aggressive if they got him and they probably would have a, a roster capable of being a wild card um, with him in the first season, then hopefully down the line as your core develops, guys like Becton, Mims, whoever you draft this year, um, and then the free agents you sign, hopefully you can develop a good enough all-around roster to compete for a Super Bowl starting next season. But year one, I think they could compete for a wild card with him. Yes, and, and I agree with that. I just think that an elite quarterback changes everything, and Deshaun Watson is certainly elite. Um, from at the real Barry Al 2, who is the most hidden gem in the draft between rounds four and seven for you guys? I mean, it's tough at this stage. I mean, we've watched some draft stuff. We've done, obviously, the simulators and stuff. But there's only a few guys that jump out. And most of them are running backs to me. Because I think the Jets, we established this last episode, that Joe Douglas obviously is is a guy who has a plan. He has premium positions in mind. He has positions that he knows he's going to spend on and put the his draft capital and his cap space towards. And then there's other positions that he's just going to kind of fill on a year-by-year basis. And running back is one of those. And the, the two trains of thought is that, well, if he doesn't value running back, he doesn't want to pay it at all. Or if he does value running back, he doesn't want to use draft compensation because that's more valuable than cap. So I think what ends up happening is the Jets sign a a free agent running back, not an Aaron Jones, but I think they sign a guy like Marlon Mack, maybe Jamal Williams, Um, because that's an incredible value uh, too, because those are good starting players. And if they played another position, they'd be getting paid in free agency. But because the turnover rate at running back is so high and it's so replaceable that you can get a good competent starter for under $5 million a year. So I think a guy like Mack makes a lot of sense. Uh, and then if they do that, though, I think they, they'll they want to draft one, too. And I think they'll use a day three pick. So that's where I look at this question. I think of Javian Hawkins. Uh, I think he's a perfect fit. You, if you just need a home run hitter. He makes a lot of sense. Jamar Jefferson from Oregon State. Um, he's not necessarily as much of a home run hitter, but he's a very solid running back. When you look at the starting running backs in today's league, a lot of them are day three picks. And when you look at the success that San Francisco had, which is obviously where Michael Floor's offense is coming from, they had a lot of no-name running backs just come in and produce. And I think that's the the, the mindset that the Jets are going to have. I think they're going to have their running back by committee approach, whether it's Marlon Mack and Ty Johnson, the Michael Piron, and then a guy like Hawkins. I think it's just going to be a, a combination of guys. And so when I look at day three, the two guys that stand out are Javion Hawkins and Jamar Jefferson. If you're not going a running back, a guy, a tight end, Trey McKitty, he stands out to me. Because uh, I was going to, I was going to point him out. He's our, gonna, he's our yeah, official he, sleeper on this. He, podcast. he is. He is the official sleeper of this podcast. Cause Michael and I've talked about that. That number two tight end is more important than a slot receiver in this offense. I don't know if McKitty's ready to be a number two tight end off the bat, but I certainly think the jets are going to address that tight end spot in, in the off season. Um, 
And, uh, you know, if they don't pay a guy like Johnny Smith or Hunter Henry, I, I saw read a report that they're potentially inter- interested in Henry. If they don't pay a guy like that, then it's like, do they sign a guy like Trey Burton or Jordan Reed? And if they don't do that, then I would be expecting the Jets to take a tight end. Um, maybe even round three. I mean, but if not, they're going to take it in round four or something. I think that Joe Douglas is going to address that tight end spot because you like Herndon, but he's not a complete guarantee. And the tight end is so important to this offense that you have to get somebody in there. And then the best case scenario is that they're both good. And then you have two great tight ends for an offense that needs two great tight ends. So they're definitely going to address it. So Trey McKitty is a guy to keep an eye out. Um, I like him a lot. I think he's, he's a really versatile guy, um, but he's more of that receiving tight end. Um, when I watched him, it was almost like watching a Quincy Nunwa, who was always compared to a tight end. I mean, he's a guy that can really produce after the catch. And so I, I like McKitty a lot just yeah. as a, as a he, development. He passed as the eye test for us. He only had six catches this year, only 56 in his four years. But the catches he did make and the times he did get the ball, he really popped out to us. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, our guy. he's, he's the perfect example of, of you take a guy um, – uh, that you know maybe didn't produce as much in college, but you like the way that you can coach. He's a developmental guy. I mean, so I, I'm not taking Trey McKitty to be the number two tight end off the bat, um, but he's certainly a guy that catches my eye as a guy who could be a starting tight end in a year or two. Um, but as far as a guy you can take that right off the bat could be a success, Javian Hawkins or Jamar Jefferson. I mean, there's a lot of great running backs in that in that group. But Hawkins is a guy that they just need home run hitters. They need guys who can go 90 yards in one play, and Hawkins is that. So I think they'll be interested. I think they met with him too. Um, at the senior bowl. So there's definitely a few guys to keep an eye out for, but as we get closer to the draft, I mean, Michael and I are kind of focused on free agency. As we get closer to the draft, we'll have a few more guys um, for you. So at the fake Matt gold, you think the jets extend John Franklin Myers or fully fight Acosta this off season with Q's extension on the horizon. Is it smart to devote a lot of cap to DT? No, I don't think they, they extend either of them this off season. I think next off season they will. And they, it's a bit of a trial run because I think John Franklin Myers is the better fit for this offense or for this defense, excuse me, at defensive tackle. When you look at what Rob Sala had in San Francisco, they had two interior defensive linemen who were quick and could, could rush the passer. Foley Fadikasi is more of your traditional run stuffing Vince Wilfork type of um, defensive tackle. And Vince Wilfork played in a four, three. I mean, there's definitely, definitely formations you can use to, to utilize a, a one gap defensive tackle like Foley Fadikasi. Uh, I think he, he, it just kind of depends. It's going to be a trial run this year because also I think what the Jets are going to try to do is have John Franklin Myers be the five tech and then have Quinn and, and Foley inside. And then on pass rushing downs, you move John Franklin Myers into the three tech next to Quinn and Williams. You take Foley off the field and you put in another pass rusher. And if that goes well, it, it I, I tend to think only one of those guys is going to get paid from the Jets, but that decision is, is a next off season decision. I don't think they even address it this year. I, you don't even know what type of trades are going to happen to. I mean, you've been talking about trading Quinn and if you trade Quinn and then John Franklin Myers is going to have to be your replacement in house. So there's a lot of different, you know, scenarios to consider. I like both these players. I think they're both good players. We're going to have to see what they both look like this season. And then I think one of them gets extended maybe two, but I, they, it, it, it's kind of a crowded room if you pay all three of them. So I think, I think it's going to be either Franklin Myers or Foley and based off the defense, I I would lean towards Franklin Myers, but you know, we'll see how they play this year. Michael, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you're right. I don't think that's going to be a conversation this off season, but next year, if they both continue to play as well as they have been, then it definitely could be on the table for both of them. But with Franklin Myers, it's going to be so interesting to see where he lines up because I know you've been talking a lot about him as five tech. I really think that the best home for him is that three tech two eye tech spot on the inside because he was just so dominant as a pass rusher 
using that quickness to his advantage against guards. They just couldn't keep up with him. And obviously, you know, if it were that easy to beat guards with quickness, then you just put your cornerbacks in there. But you have to have some level of strength to be and size to be able to hold up in there in the run game and also in the passing game as well, to just to hold guys down to open up room for blitzes. You need that power as well. And he has it, even though he's undersized, he's able to hold up in there. So that has allowed his quickness to shine in the passing game where he was an elite pass rusher on the inside. So I really like him in there, but it with Quinn in there, obviously as you're starting three tech, it will be interesting. He might have to, you could also have Quinn and kick further inside because on in your base four three, you're going to have someone that's, I, at that one tech spot on the inside then someone on the three tech and then you have your two ends on the outside uh so you could have franklin myers as that three tech in the base quinnon at the one tech that could work but I, personally i'm just a fan of franklin myers on the inside he can yeah. play that outside end spot for you if you need him to in certain situations for sure but this is a big part of why i think it's so important to get two of them who can start on the outside because i would like to see franklin myers stay where he played really well last season I think that him starting on the outside is just sort of an example of a situation where it's like we put him there because he's the best we got but that's not necessarily the best for him he can do it we saw him do it with the Rams and he did it at a solid level but he's at his best inside to me so I would like him to stay there and if he can if he plays as well as he did last season next year then I definitely think extent because Quinnen's going to get paid at some point. But I think even once that does happen, if Franklin Myers continues to play as well as he did last year, you can extend both these guys. Right. I think that's okay. They were this past season, one of only two pairs of interior D lineman teammate teammates who each averaged three pressures per game on a 10% or better pressure rate. The only other was Stefan Tua and Cameron Hayward for the Steelers. So they were an elite pass rushing duo on the inside this past season. So that's the important thing, pass rushing. That's what's most important. So if they continue to play this way, uh, I would definitely extend Franklin Myers in addition to Quinnen. And then Foley will be interesting because he's so good. He's as good as it gets at what he does. But if you are extending Quinnen and Franklin Myers pretty good deal uh, to a pretty good deal, then you start to have the question of, do we want to extend three of these guys? But I do think Foley is a pure nose tackle. He doesn't give you anything in the passing game. So I don't think he would get paid too much. I think he could be extended on a deal that is reasonable to where you could even have all three of those guys. It's such a, it's such a niche position in this defense. Like I think here's what I think the jets defensive line looks like next year. I think, um, at your end spot, I think you are going to draft somebody at 23. So let's just say Jalen Phillips, who seems to be a popular pick for the Jets, but you could replace that with Ojolari, Rousseau, any of those Quiddy Pay, any of those guys. Right now, we'll say Jalen Phillips at that Leo defensive end spot. Uh, then I think for your base defense, you're going to have Foley at the one tech, Quinn in at the three tech, and you're going to have John Franklin Myers at the five tech. And then on passing downs, you're going to move John Franklin Myers inside next to Quinn, and you'll keep Jalen Phillips in the outside or whoever your rookie is. And then you bring in that guy you signed in free agency. So maybe it's Vinnie Curry. Maybe that's Ronnie Blair, whoever it is. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's something very feasible the Jets could do. And like you just talked about the success that Quinn and John Franklin Myers had. I think that's a, a very solid um, foundation for, for Joe Douglas's pass rush. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, those are the guys that are going to be going after the quarterback. Rob Sala, as we just mentioned, doesn't rush more than four. So those are the guys. And I think that fully... I like him a lot. I think we'll see how this year goes. If it if this recipe proves to be 
very successful for the Jets, then I think they'll keep with it. But I think you're right. I think John Franklin Myers' best home is on the inside. I think he's great at what he does. And what he does is rush the passer, which is the name of the game in the NFL. So I think he would probably stick over Foley Fadakasi. But that is a decision the Jets can make next offseason that they don't have to make right now. From at sports underscore fiend, which member of the coaching staff outside of Sala on the floor, are you most excited for their potential influence on the team's performance? I'll start here. I just dropped my phone. I'll start here. Uh, I would say John Benton, the offensive line coach. I think that um, the Jets have not had a good offensive line coach in a long time. Um, pretty much going back to the, the Rex Ryan days was the last time I felt pretty confident in their O-line coach. And it's so important. It, you could make an argument that it's the most important position group coach um, out there. I, I really believe that he's going to be able to get the most out of guys like George Fant and McGovern, who may be underwhelmed in a, in a sense last year. Then he's a guy like Becton, who's just so damn talented and you're just trying to squeeze every ounce of it out of him. And I think he's showed so much promise and potential last year that you get him around a guy like Ben, who's been in the league forever um, and has had great success. And it was a top tier offensive line coach with San Francisco last year. The only reason this happened is because they hired Chris Forster, who people may know from a, a certain video a few years ago. Uh, and they had two veteran offensive line coach, two, two vet, great veteran offensive line coaches. And the jets were just lucky enough that he would come along um, to be the offensive line coach and the run game coordinator. So I think he's going to have a big impact on, on developing the offensive line uh, in Joe Douglas's vision and also having a good impact on the run game, which is just so crucial to this offense. I think Benton is a guy that isn't getting talked about too much, but he's going to have a major impact on this offense because it's the entire offense is built around good offensive line play and good running play. And that is exactly what Benton is bringing. So I'm excited to see what he can bring just based off the success that he's had in his years um, as a coach. Yeah, Benton is a really good one. The Niners offensive line improved a lot when he got there and he's been at a lot had he's been at a lot of stops throughout the past decade and most of them he's had a lot of success. So really like him. And for me I'm going to go with Tony Oden on the defensive side. He's been part of the success of the development of a lot of really good defensive backs. Darius Slay in Detroit, Xavier Howard in Miami. Uh he was also a part of Darrell Revis coming back in 2013 off of his injury and playing really well in Tampa Bay. Uh, he's had a lot of good. And also last year at the Niners, he was coaching their secondary and that secondary had a great season with all the injuries up front, not a lot of a pass rush. They still were one of the best pass defenses, pass defenses in the league on the strength of that secondary with guys like Jason Verrett having a breakout season. Uh, Richard Sherman was able to have, when he was healthy, he played well. Akella Witherspoon had a good season. There was a lot of good stuff going on in that secondary last year. Uh, Kwan Williams has played well. Tart at safety. There are a lot of good stories in that secondary. This past season and the past, well, this was the only season Odom was there, but uh, overall that secondary played great. And in spite of not having too much pressure in front of them, and Odin's been a part of guys like Slay Howard over the past few years developing them. So really like his background. He does bring a lot to the table in that secondary. Yeah, definitely. I think Ben and Odin are the two obvious examples, but you know, we're going to learn a lot about the staff throughout the season. I think it's just one of those things where, you know, Michael and I really can't talk too much about these guys because we have no idea position coaches are just one of those things where they affect so much about the game, but we as fans have really no idea right, how they exactly. are. Um, so, uh, you know, from what we've heard from league sources and people talking about it, this is an incredible staff that's all it's built. So I'm sure there's other names on this list, but Benton and Odin are the two guys you can point to and see concrete examples of them elevating the level of play. Um, 
you know, whether it be injuries or young guys, I, I'm excited to see how they, they develop. And I think Bryce Hall is like perfect, you know, a perfect guy for Odin to, to fully develop. He has so much talent. Uh, he flashed it last year. I'm excited to see him in this game because I think it's actually a perfect scheme fit for him. So Hall is a guy to keep an eye on as at least a measuring stick for how this coaching staff can develop its players. I think he's a perfect player who's shown promise, shown potential. You get him young. He's a perfect scheme fit. Let's see what you can do with him. Um, so he's a guy to keep an eye on to, to get a good, I guess, measuring stick on, on how this coaching staff is doing when it comes to player progressions. And I guess Odin in particular for Matt New York, uh, NY sports guru Two. What's your guys' opinion on Kyle Pitts to the Jets with pick 23 if he were available? Does he fit with the New York Jets? We all know he's in, he isn't the pick at two. Well, not, not if you ask Mel Kuyper, who has the Jets trading down two spots to take him. Uh, I want to know how he stacks up in your minds compared to other weapons potentially available at 23. So, yeah, I don't think the Jets should even explore Pitts in the top 10, obviously. I just don't, They have so many other needs that they don't have to take a tight end. If he makes it to 23, which I don't think he does, I think he's a top 15 pick in this draft. If he makes it to 23, I wouldn't hate the pick. I mean, it depends on the board falls, but he's such a talented player. I guess the concern is, is that is he going to be more of an Evan Ingram type of player where it's, he's not necessarily an NFL tight end, but he's a really good receiving option. But as we just mentioned that the number two tight end, and in this case, it'd be the number one tight end, knocking Herndon down to number two is more important than a slot receiver. So you could make the argument if you sign a, a receiver in free agency, let's say the Jets sign uh, Curtis Samuel or Juju Smith-Schuster, whoever, and they cut crowd or whatever, you could make the argument you sign Pitts, you run that 12 personnel, and you're going to beat a lot of football teams, especially with how talented Pitts is. I wouldn't hate it. If he's there at 23, you know, I think I think Douglas's strategy, McCagan gets a lot of you know crap for his best player available strategy, and it's well-deserved because I don't think he was working in sync with the coaching staff. He wasn't taking the best – he would take a best player available, but if he doesn't fit the scheme at all, it's pretty much worthless. But a guy like Pitts, and I think Douglas's mindset in the draft is, look, we're still a few seasons away from contending. We're not going to just draft based off needs. If the guy plays a premium position and he fits our scheme and he's one of the best players available, we're going to take him. He's going to draft talent. So even though Kyle Pitts isn't in a, in a in tight end and is in a, an exact need, it's still a position, a premium position for this offense. He still would probably be the best player on the board. So I think the Jets would definitely take him. And I wouldn't hate him. I mean, you could you could devise an entire game plan like the, the Ford Niners did with George Kittle and wreck teams with Kyle Pitts. I mean, he's a super talented prospect. Um, and then you have Herndon as your backup tight end, who's getting in there in 12 personnel. You can do a lot of fun things with him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, if the Jets were still running Adam Gase's 11 personnel offense, then no. But the fact that the Jets' scheme fits, you know, makes tight end a, a premium position, and he would be probably the best player on the board, uh, and the Jets aren't competing this year, I would certainly explore a guy like Pitts. Mike, what say you? Yeah, I definitely think that, like you said, he's probably not a guy who's going to be in play for the Jets. Um, even trading down into the 4 to 10 range, if they are doing that, I still don't think he'll probably be in play. He deserves to go in that range, but for the Jets, I think that you have to attack a bigger need. This is best player available makes sense a lot of the time, but this is a time for the Jets. That's where I don't think it makes a ton of sense. I think they have to focus on their biggest needs first right now because they're trying to rebuild from the ground up from being a two-win team. And I think to do that, you have to focus on your premium positions first. You have to focus on the pass rush on defense and the offensive line on offense before you can focus on skill position players on offense and then the back end on defense. I think it starts inside out when you're trying to rebuild. Uh, so I think for the Jets, you're trading down, you're looking at your line, you're looking at your pass rush. And at 23, if Kyle Pitts is there, then obviously I think you take him. 
um, assuming that they probably would have taken a quarterback with the first pick. Right. Um, but that's probably not going to happen unless you're looking at something else in which there, unless something crazy happens. I mean, we didn't think CD lamb was going to fall to the Cowboys last season, but it did. So it, it could happen. And if it does, then I think you definitely would consider it. I think you do. If he falls 23, I just don't think it would happen. But in terms of if they trade down, should they look at him? I don't, I don't, unless you're the offensive line board or the edge board or, or the other positions you're looking at, whether it's receiver or corner although i think o-liner edge should be prioritized first unless those boards don't fall your way at the top of the draft and you would be reaching to take one of those positions then you could take them but i I think you really they should they have better ways to go but that that's no slight on Pitts at all who's a fantastic prospect deserves to go that high but there are teams that are better suited to afford taking a tight end that high than the jets are yeah this next question from at ben keely 16 ties in uh, kind of well with this. What is the most likely position at 23 and 34? He says he likes Vera Tucker, Jalen Phillips, and possibly Bateman. Um, yeah, as far as – let's talk about 23 first because that's what we're doing right now. I personally think they're going to take an edge. As I mentioned, I think it. I think the, the board right now is falling um, where you're probably going to have an opportunity at one of those top edge spots. I think that is kind of the ceiling of this, this draft class is I think when you rank all the players um, – regardless of position i think around 23 early 20s is when you're gonna start to see your first edge so i think it works out well for the jets obviously it's a position a premium position so teams are going to reach for him but i think a guy like jalen phillips makes a lot of sense if ojalari falls or quitty pay falls i think that's where they're probably going to go because i also don't think they pay somebody in free agency um but i would say it's most likely but maybe a guy like jc horn falls a little way 23 i think that's a dream scenario because i think he is going to come in and be a, a starting nfl corner right off the bat but in my eyes i actually think horn's going to be the first corner off the board i don't know why i just have a feeling he goes ahead of farley and Sertan. um so i think most likely position to edge or most likely position at 23 is probably edge um and then we can talk about 34 in a second michael what do you think for 23 Well, I think for me that the first thing that I'm going to do is look at the positions that are going to be ruled out. And I think the number one position that I have to list here is running back. I'm seeing too many mock drafts that are (laughs) giving the Jets a running back at this pick, and I don't like it. It it gives me nightmares. The Jets are not taking a running back with a 23rd pick when they don't have an edge rusher. They don't have a good starting guard. Well, they might at this point, but even if they do, they're going to need a second one. They have needs at receiver. They have needs at cornerback. They're not taking a running back to the spot. Najee Harris and Travis Etienne are fantastic players. Jets should not be taking them in the first round with all these needs at other positions. So I think that's the biggest thing. I don't think running back should be in play here, and I don't think it will either. I think Douglas has shown us a good understanding of positional value with the way he's addressed the offensive line uh, and other key positions. We still need to see it at edge. Hopefully he does that this offseason. But he's not a guy who's shown a value on running back so far. And I think that's good. It's not a position you should value highly until you have the rest of your roster rounded out. Then you could look at it and try to make it as strong as possible with premium investments like the Chiefs with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire last year. But the Jets aren't in that spot. So I don't think it should be in play for them. And I don't think it will be based on what Douglas has shown us so far. But other than that, everything else is on the board. Like we said, if Pitts is there, not going to happen, but go ahead and take him because tight end is such a big need. But I think we know what the main positions in play are corner edge, interior O-line, uh, and then wide receiver, if there is value there. But I, I, I also, the way the board, 
I also wouldn't just got linebacker. Just I, I would. Yeah, I don't. I think, think that could be in play too. That's one we're not talking about enough. I mean, I literally didn't even bring it up just now, but it, it could be in play there. For if, sure. if Michael it, Parsons it, it falls, depends, Zayvon Collins is there. It depends on what they do in free agency. Like if you sign Jayon Brown to a big deal next to Mosley, then I don't think it's going to happen. But if if you go cheap in linebacker and don't really address it, then it could certainly be in play as that first round pick because it is. I think it's very important. But I do think it is slightly, probably less premium for the Jets right now, based on their roster, than edge and cornerback. Definitely, definitely. So it's it's a little bit lower on the needs list than those. I think very important, but just not quite as much as some well, of these it's, other it's ones. One of those other things where your will linebacker is the most important. I mean, obviously there's two starting outside linebackers in this defense, but that Sam guy, that Sam outside linebacker, you take out when you're nickel, and in today's NFL, you're nickel all the time. Um, so I think they they should focus on signing yeah. a will. Most so. teams do it like 50 to 60 percent of the time, but the Jets or, or Salah in San Francisco did run base more than most teams. So the Jets will probably be uh, like they would even Joe Blue has talked about this that they would even run base in, in situations where a lot of other teams would run nickel. They would not switch even if the other team goes 11 personnel. So the Jets could right. be using that third linebacker a lot more. So it is really a big need. Yeah, what I was going to get to, though, is that even though you take one out, you still have two starting holes there, and they right. need to be athletic. They need to yep. be solid linebackers. You can't just plug in Neville Hewitt at one of those yep. spots. I mean, this is a guy. This is a position you're going to have to address. So you talked about Nicholas Morrow. I've talked a lot about Tyus Bowser. You just mentioned Jayon Brown. I think they're going to sign one, and I think they're going to draft one. And I think I think they'll, they'll sign a legit guy to start. I think they may sign a guy like – maybe Kevin Pierre-Lewis or something, just to bring in depth. Maybe they bring back Harvey Lange. And then on day two of the draft, maybe day three, I mean, just depending on if they get a, you know, a, th- a third for Darnold and a fourth, maybe whatever it is, then I think you use one of those picks on a linebacker. I think it's a deep linebacker class. If they really love, let's say Parsons Falls, yeah, that would make sense. Um, uh, you know, Zayvon Collins is a great player that I really love too, if he's there. But I think you're right. I think at 23, it's probably edge corner receiver and interior offensive line i think yeah, it's probably it, actually i would actually say it's more likely they go linebacker than receiver at 23 i don't see douglas taking a receiver in the yeah, first. If, if they make a big linebacker signing i don't think it's on the table but if they go cheap there or they just sign like a rotational sam linebacker sort of thing then and they still need that starting will linebacker then it's absolutely on the table but i think most likely is edge corner or interior line. right at 34 and like look, look i think they're going to take we just talked about this, but the best player available. I mean, they're not going to double down a quarterback or anything, but they're not going to, if the best player on their board's a linebacker and it's by a, a wide margin, I think they're going to take a linebacker. Yeah, best player available with leaning. Some caveats. Yeah. That's the way you should do it. Yeah. Best player for the New York Jets. I mean, you have to look at scheme fit and needs and premium position at 34. I think in an ideal world, I think Douglas hits quarterback at, at two edge at 23. And then he hits interior offensive lineman at 34. We know that's not how the board falls. If Wyatt Davis is gone and he's not comfortable with Josh Myers or Creed Humphrey or any of those other interior offensive linemen, then I think he looks at cornerback. And if he's not comfortable with the guys there, maybe it's Asante Samuel. Uh, maybe it's Eric Stokes. You don't really know what the board is going to be like until we're there. Um, they'll get a whole day to sleep on it though, because you know, they, obviously they'll have the second pick in the draft. So there's only gonna be one guy off the board. I think it'll probably be interior offensive lineman. If it's not, then it's going to be corner. Um, and then if it's not there, then then I think that opens up the board a lot to what we just talked about linebacker, maybe they look at receiver. Um, but in my in my uh, opinion, most likely it goes quarterback at two edge of 23 interior offensive lineman at 34. Michael, you agree? 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think that's a pretty good way to put it. But to go back to the running back discussion here, I think this is where it gets pretty interesting in terms of that position. Uh, is if you do get if you get an extra pick for Sam Darnold, I think if you don't get an extra pick in the second round for Sam or wherever it falls, even if it's a late first rounder, then I don't think it should be considered at all. But if you do have multiple second rounders or a late first uh, from Sam Darnold and magically somehow either ETN or Najee Harris falls to you at this point. I could maybe see them doing it. I could get maybe it. it would maybe. be an exciting pick because it would be exciting, but I still don't think it's a smart thing to do. I think you got to zero in, stay focused on the meat and potatoes here first before right. you get to the. Snacks, you could you could talk which me is the sexier positions like running back, but I, I I could maybe see it at this point as a possibility. I still right. think they would lean towards the more important needs though. Yeah, you could talk me into ETN, certainly, at 30. I love Harris, but I think ETN's a better fit for this offense, and he's a more versatile player, so he's not just a running back. He kind of has that Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara type of thing where, you know, you can use him as a receiver. You can use him in other ways. Um, And, yeah, if he's there at 34, it makes sense. I just – they should not use a first-round pick on a running back under no circuit, you know, in any situation. I I still wouldn't be a fan of it in the second round, and I still don't think they will do it, but it does become more – of a possibility here right. of something I could get behind first right. round or the, the 23rd pick. Absolutely not. But at this point, maybe, especially if you can get good value for Darnold. All right. From at sports underscore fiend. What is the top offensive free agent and top defensive free agent that would provide the best impact for the squad in 2021? I, I mean, offensive, I think we and you would probably have the same answer. So I'm going to knock him from the board and that would be Joe Tooney. I just think that he yeah. immediately would come in and have the biggest impact as far as we just we were talking about the ripple effect that he's going to have on McGovern, on Becton, and the entire line uh, because he's such a great player. He's such a consistent and durable player. Um, that I, And, you know, the offensive line boosts literally every aspect of the team. So Tooney makes a hell of a lot of sense. But let's, let's wipe the offensive line um, from this. Let's just talk about skill positions on offense and then defense you can talk about whoever. Who do you think the Jets could realistically sign? Let's not throw like Chris Goblin or somebody. Um that the Jets could bring in and that would have a huge impact. Let's start with the offense. So on offense, I think I'm going to go with a theme we've been talking about here throughout this podcast, and that's the importance of the tight end position in this offense. And I'm going to go with Jonu Smith. I think he is a guy who checks all the boxes that the Jets are going to want. He can block. He's a very good blocker playing in a Titans offense that runs a ball a lot and runs the ball outside to the tight ends a lot. He shined running, leading a lot of outside runs for Derrick Henry. And as a receiver, never put up the volume numbers, hasn't even hit 500 yards in a season, but he hasn't been targeted a lot. When he has been targeted, you've seen him make a lot of fantastic catches. Just look back to the playoffs last year, some of the catches he made. And he had eight touchdowns this season. Uh, so he shows up when they throw him the ball. They just haven't done it a lot because they're a run first team in this past season. They had great wide receivers to throw the ball to. But he's delivered when he's been targeted. He's great with the ball in his hands. Um, He even had a 57-yard run in 2019. um, And he had a rushing touchdown this year. Uh, So he's very athletic with the ball in his hands. Can make acrobatic catches. He's a good all-around player. Just hasn't gotten the targets to show it from a fantasy perspective. I would not think he really fits what the Jets need. He would be a great addition. I would not hate paying him. As I said, I think Joe Douglas is going to pay in free agency, but he's only going to pay for guys that are going to have that long-term impact. He's not going to dump a bunch of money into a guy to win right now. And a guy like Johnny Smith makes a lot of sense for that long-term vision. Um, and you talk about the role that, that 
that LaFleur could create from when you look at the, the what, what George Kittle did in San Francisco. It's certainly exciting. Yeah, I wanted to say Jonu, but since you said him, there's – you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go with the fullback, Kyle Juszczyk. I, I, Let's I, go. Let's I actually go. believe I that it's not just him. It's the you, The question was impact. So that changes the entire filter of the question. If it's impact, would you look at what Juszczyk does in San Francisco as a blocker, as a receiver – as a runner, even he impacts their entire game plan. He forces defenses to pay attention to him. He's an extra tight end. He's an extra running back. He's an extra offensive lineman. Hell, he's an extra receiver. So overall impact, I think you bring in Kyle Juszczyk and it opens up a lot for the offense. I mean, look, it's not the same NFL it was 10 years ago, but when the Jets paid Tony Richardson, you saw what it did for the rest of the offense, especially if you build up a good offensive line in front of him. So I'll go use check. I was tempted a little bit to go with the receiver here, but well, I'll limit it to use check. I just think overall impact, you bring in a guy like use check. I don't care. You know, presuming you, you still continue to build up the offensive line. You can put Marlon Mack back there. You can put Jamal Williams back there. You can draft a kid. I think that running backs can have success. And as a whole, the offense will, because it's just so built around the, the run game. Um, similar answers though, because I think Johnny would do a lot of similar things that use check would do, or at least bring to an offense right. from a versatility standpoint. Um, but I'll go use check. Or I'm, we can just get both and have our yeah, that's he can true. be our Kittle and use check. You could just go Jersey. both there and then not really pay running backs or receivers, just build it inside out. I kind of like that idea. For defense, it's probably edge rusher. It's honestly not a great defensive free agent class. It's kind of good for what the Jets I, I would I would go with Carl Lawson as my number one. Well, I yeah, think he's, but I, I, I think don't think he's... he gets away. That that that's what we're just talking about our dream scenario, right? Here, I think. Right. But, okay. All right. Okay. So beyond him, let's assume he gets franchise tag. Then I think I would go with. I, I want to look at the edge rushers, but it is sort of tough to pick one in particular. I, I, I think if, out. They, if they don't go lost, and I don't think uh, they pay big money to an edge. So yeah, there's, an there's a lot of risk there because Okora, one year wonder, Hendrickson, one year wonder. So there is some risk the there. Zadarius Smith, though, a couple years ago was a one year wonder, and then he got even better the next year after the Packers signed him. So I think that's going to win a lot of points for some people in terms of signing these guys who just had breakout seasons. It's, the way it's that so Smith stupid that that should matter. Improving, <laughs> but it, it is something that definitely right. might have an no, effect. It, it does. But it will be interesting. You know what? Uh, you, Cause I don't think they pay a big edge if they don't get Lawson. So I don't, I, there's not really another edge that jumps out to me. I think corners, their second biggest need, but there's not really a guy there. I, they're they're going to sign a slot guy. So they're either bringing back pool. They'll sign K1 Williams, or maybe they go Desmond King or somebody. So I don't think I'm not really comfortable going anybody there at the outside spot. It's pretty much a barren wasteland. I mean, they could go after Richard Sermon, who's, but he's a little bit older and, you know, I could go with him because of the impact he's not only going to have on the team, but on the, the locker room and the culture or whatever, blah, I'm going to go Tyus Bowser. I think I think what he would bring to Rob Sala's defense from a versatility and pass coverage standpoint makes him an, attractive for this answer. I don't think there's necessarily like with offense with Joe Tooney, it's very easy because I think he's a guy you he's a top tier guy you're gonna sign and he's he's gonna have a huge ripple effect on the entire offense. I don't really see that on defense if you're not getting an elite edge rusher, but Tyus Bowser is one of the best pass coverage linebackers in the league. We've talked about the importance of linebackers in Sala's defense. He needs athletic guys. Um, and he's also first style. He can get after the pass rusher. So I, I like Bowser. Um, 
but it's not a home run for me, but I, I really do think what you, especially since I don't think he's going to get a lot of money as far as bang for your buck goes for a guy who's going to make $6 million a year. I think Tyus Bowser makes a lot of sense for the Jets. So outside of the edge guys, I got to go with Nicholas Morrow, my okay. guy. I think he's a perfect fit. Great in coverage will not be too expensive. So I think he gives you value and he's young could continue. To and improve. you could argue and you could argue not to cut you off, but you could argue that Morrow is maybe a slightly better scheme fit than Bowser because Bowser's been playing yeah. a lot of three, four outside linebacker and we've seen him shine in coverage, but Morrow has been that, that prototypical, prototypical four, three will yep, exactly is what you're asking him to do. So I, I think Morrow is a more Jets fans got to be talking about him as much as you're talking about Allen Robinson and whoever else will or not will for no one likes him or Curtis Samuel, Kenny Gall, whoever talk about Nicholas Morrow. All right. And that this leads us right into our next question from at JP waxer. We are all great at playing GM, but what is the GM likely to do? That is the real question. Okay. I like it, John. Michael, what do you think Joe Douglas does? I mean, maybe we can hop into some signings. We've kind of done a whole like blueprint, but maybe just a philosophy standpoint. Let's talk about free agency here. Um, and then maybe some players he signs because I think Moore is a good example of a young under the radar guy, not going to be too expensive, but is going to have that long-term impact and is a guy who could be here for five years. Yeah. I think the biggest thing with Douglas and projecting his philosophy this off season is I think we shouldn't look at last off season as too much of an example of who he's going to be as a decision maker. It was only one off season. It was a very, it's, it's hard to really evaluate just based on, one off season, how he's going to be. So I think we have to be a little patient and just see how he does over the years. Um, so I think at the same time though, that is a good indication the way he approached last off season, that he's not going to be a super aggressive GM, like going all out for Deshaun Watson. I just don't think as much as I would like to do it. I don't think it's something he would do or trading up in the draft overpaying for free agents. I don't think those are things he's going to do, but at the same time, I don't think he's always just going to be John Idzik, not paying anybody. I think that was just sort of what he felt was best last off season. There's also, you can add into why it he is kind of weird. Though, that, that... I think another big, big point is that he probably was projecting what could have, what was going to happen with the salary cap in terms of more guys are going to be cut. Less teams are going to have cap space. And this would be a better off season to have that cap space. So he could have been playing that long game as well. So I think the biggest thing, he is not a super aggressive GM, but I think it's too early to label him a cheap GM. I think he is going to be aggressive this off season because they have to be, they need talent. They have cap space and there are a lot of guys out there who can help them fix the weaknesses that they have. So I think he's going to be a lot more aggressive than last offseason. But at the same time, I do think there is a Joe Douglas core mentality, and that's drawing a line in the sand, not overpaying too much, and playing the long game and being patient about building. But at the same time, not being committed to that too much and being willing to pay money when it makes sense, like going all out for the guards, uh, like pursuing a great edge rusher, fixing your linebacker position, getting weapons, these are things that you should be willing to spend your money to do. But at the same time, I think there's always going to be that core Joe Douglas mindset of we're going to be patient. We're going to build through the draft and we're not going to overpay for people, but we're not going to just do that and ignore making big moves. Yeah. I think we, we made it through the worst part of the Joe Douglas tenure. And I mean, sweet God, I hope we made it through the worst part of the tenure, but I think, I think last year, (laughs) and what I was going to say was what I was going to cut you off with was it is kind of weird that I guess we just, 
different situations. And I think the fan base as a whole has grown to be a little bit more patient, but I think John Idzik was actually trying to do a little bit what Joe Douglas was trying to do last year. I think that's why he was so tentative. I think there's a big difference in, first of all, the league wide respect that Joe Douglas has over Idzik, the draft success. I mean, Idzik did have 12 picks and he whiffed on all of them. You know, we saw Edzik bumble around at a press conference for 20 minutes and didn't really get any sort of confidence. With Douglas, there's confidence of the fans. And look what he just brought in a, a top tier head coaching candidate. His first draft has had some some good moments as well. So there's a lot more patience there. And I just think that last year was about not he recognized the state of the team. It's the reason he got a six-year deal. He recognized, look, we're not winning a Super Bowl in a year. We're probably not winning it in three years. Hell, we might not win it in five years. We have a lot of work to do. This is 10 years. Right, that's stretching it. You can get there in five years. You can get there in five years. I'm just <laughs> saying, yeah, okay, three years was probably the, the max there. I think that's that good. long-term rebuilds in the NFL have become an increasingly a myth, but the Jets have also shit their drafts beds 10 years in a row. They haven't built up a lot of talent. I mean, the, the guys that they're taking in 2016, 2017, 2015 should be the core of the team and all those guys are gone. I mean, outside of Marcus May and is that it? I mean, like, I mean, there's maybe a few other guys there, but they, they just, you know, shit the bed on all those drafts. So they've, they've screwed themselves. So I think Douglas recognized this. He said, look, I've come into a team that just paid a bunch of free agents to put sprinkles on a turd cake. I mean, it really, I mean, the jets have so much work to do when it comes to their foundation. So I think last year was about, look, I'm not going to dump a bunch of assets and trying uh, to make this team better. Let's just, tear it all down. We're not going to give a lot of money out. We're going to tear this whole thing down, bring it down to the studs, and we're going to build it the right way. And that's why I think Douglas isn't going to get distracted by the eye candy of Watson. I think it's, 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 he might, I don't think he's going to be a complete pacifist as a GM. I just, it think, would be foolish to completely ignore it, but I do think his mentality is he is. That's what I'm saying. I think he is definitely going to look at it, but I do I just, think he is a guy who's not going to risk everything. To and I, and there's, there's, there are GMs in the league that are going to want their stamp on that, on that trade. Their, their GMs are going to throw the entire future of the team aside just to get to Sean Watson. Um, and I just don't think Joe Douglas is that we'll see. Does the value of the jets picks make them more competitive? I could see that a scenario where the Texans value having the second pick in the draft and they value the fact that the jets are perceived as a dumpster of an organization, so maybe they can get away with it. But I think there's going to be a team that's going to offer way more first-round draft picks. And I just think long-term, the Texans might be better um, to take one of those, especially if they get offered six first-round draft picks or something crazy. Um, but yeah, I don't think Douglas is going to be a pacifist. I think we're going to learn a hell of a lot about him this offseason. But he's going to be aggressive in building this team up this offseason. Last offseason was about tearing it down. And this is kind of year one of turning this 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 around i think it's a two-year process i think the next two years are gonna, you're gonna see where the jets build it up i i think the the five-year rebuild plan is is a myth i shouldn't have mentioned it earlier i don't i think you can make a team competitive in two years look at what buffalo's done look at what cleveland's done and i think it starts right now they, they cleared all their debt and now they're sitting here right now with just douglas draft capital and money going forward and i think that's where this is year one so i think he's going to be focused on getting building blocks like Joe Tooney. I think he's going to be focused on maximizing that draft capital. It wouldn't surprise me if he trades down a few times, um, maybe trades down from 23. If he doesn't like the picks, I just think he's going to keep accumulating assets. And over the next two years, you're going to just see a, a, an influx of talent. Um, so that doesn't mean that he's going to be, I think he'll be a lot more aggressive than last off season. I don't think he's going to be stupid aggressive. I think if he makes a move, like let's say he makes a move and, and is aggressive uh, and free agency at the receiver position. Let's say he signs Juju Smith Schuster. I don't think he's going to sign Juju for $16 million, but let's say Juju suffers 
from what we've talked about in this podcast a few times is being so overrated, overrated that you're underrated. And let's say Juju's market's only around $11 million. You're looking at a 24-year-old receiver who's a perfect fitness offense. So I could see Joe Douglas signing him, but I don't think he would just keep Crowder then. I think he would cut Crowder. So he's aggressive in that mindset of making the team better, but I don't think he's going to go all in for the Jets to win a Super Bowl this year. So that's a move that I could see the Jets making where I think it's a perfect example of, of Douglas being aggressive, bringing in a 24-year-old, I don't want to say superstar, but at least star receiver who is a perfect fitness offense. And then you cut Crowder um, so as to, to free up that $10 million, which you probably wouldn't use. You'd probably in your head apply it to Schuster and then carry it over to next year's cap. Those are the types of decisions that I expect Douglas to make, where I think he's going to be aggressive, but he's not going to, you know, put all his eggs into one basket. He's going to build this the right way. And then when you're looking at the jets a year from now, or maybe a year and a half from now, when they're entering the 2022 season, um, I think that's when you're going to say, wow, this, this team's a hell of a lot better. And I think that's when you could seriously say, Hey, look, the jets should be contenders. I think the jets can be competing for super bowls by 2023. I mean, that's, that's my mindset, but it, you have to be patient. I think we've made it through the worst part. I think he's still going to be aggressive, but he's not going to go all for it. For the fans that wanted to sign Allen Robinson and Carl Lawson and Joe Tooney, and and Richard Sherman and just go all out you know th- he's not going to do that he's not going to build the free agency all-star team he's going to sign the free agency that he's going to sign he might sign some big names but those are going to be younger guys that he can build around that can be com- you know part of the team when they are competing for a Super Bowl and hopefully around two or three years um, I, I think for me the most important trait that a general manager can have or any head decision maker in sports whether that's coach head coach owner whatever is to be balanced, to not have one specific ideology that you're just tethered to. And that's what you do. We're super aggressive. We make every big trade. We sign every free agent, but you also can't be on the other side where we build through the draft. We trade down. We don't spend, we take forever to build. You don't want to be in either end of the spectrum. You want to be right in the middle. You want to be capable of being on both ends and you want to be willing to do whatever you need to do in the moment. That makes the most sense last year. Not that we were saying it made sense. They won two games. I don't think that was the goal, but last year, Douglas thought it made sense to be conservative. So that's what he did. And now, even though they were terrible, they are in a good spot going forward now with cap space and draft picks. And now this off season, I think it makes more sense for them to be more aggressive. And I think he will be. So I think the biggest thing is you want to be capable of doing both being conservative, being aggressive, being in the middle, and you want to be able to understand what the best thing to do is at that specific time and be willing to do that. And I think Joe Douglas is showing us that he can be that. If he has another offseason where he's way too conservative, then we might have a little bit of a problem. He might be a little bit too much on that end, but I don't think he is going to do that. And I think he is going to continue showing us that he's that he has that perfect balance, that ability to be whatever type of decision maker the Jets need him to be for the moment. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. I think the the number one thing that Joe Douglas has going for him is I think he has a plan. And I think that's something that past Jets GMs haven't really had. They've um, seems to to just have 50 different plans going on at the same time that they just kind of act in the moment. It seems like Joe Douglas has a plan. At least I hope he does. It seems like he, he, thought this all out in the way to, to the right way to build a team. And he recognized last off season, it was necessary for the jets to not be as aggressive, but I think that might change it. And we're going to learn a lot about him. I mean, that's right, Michael, if he, if he is Uber conservative this off season, then it might get to the point where it's like, okay, Douglas has got to pick it up a little bit, but I do, I will say that this type of method, as long as you're hitting on your draft picks does pay when it comes to long-term success in this league. Um, you know, there's not many long-term Super Bowl contending winners 
that are the biggest, the big buyers in free agency. I think it can be necessary at times to make your team better, to make a big jump, especially if you're in a situation where a lot of teams don't have the cap space that you have. It makes sense, but he's never going to be Mike Tannenbaum. I just don't believe that, but that doesn't mean he's going to be a complete pacifist. So, you know, we'll see. I I think as far as what I think he'll do, I think he's going to sign Tooney. I think he'll make a move at receiver, um, whether that's Juju or whether it's Corey Davis or Curtis Samuel. Uh, it's not really important. I think they'll they'll make a move at receiver. They'll sign Tooney. They're going to go cheap at running back. So Marlon Mack, maybe, maybe Jamal Williams. Uh, I think they'll go cheap at edge too, and they'll focus on it in the draft. So Vinnie Curry or, or um, Ronnie Blair. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, I mean, they'll sign a linebacker and a corner. Like they're just, they're going to do that way, but they're not going to go all out on, on, um, you know, overpaying for Yannick and Gakwe and, um, bringing in Juju and another receiver and keeping crowd, you know, just there, he's going to be very frugal and patient about this. So, um, as far as what I think he'll do, I think it'll be Tooney a receiver and then maybe, a um, uh, you know, invest some money at linebacker if it's Tyus Bowser or Moro or, or somebody like that. Yeah, I, so I think my rapid-fire sort of gut-feeling predictions would be I do think they're going to get either Tooney or Scherf. I think they will get Tooney. I'm sure might even be tagged, but I think they will get Tooney. I think they're going to be very aggressive and sign him to a huge deal. Other than that, though, I do think they are going to play it pretty safely. I think at Edge, they'll probably make at least two signings but not get one of the top guys. Um, I could see Vinny Curry, some of those other guys I mentioned before, Alden Smith, Everson Griffin – Olivier Vernon there are a few options you can go with there I think they're going to get a couple of those guys to hold it down I think they're going to make a signing at linebacker for a starter yeah. whether it's Morrow Denzel Perryman uh, someone like that Anzalone Anzalone's another one who you could look at uh, a guy who can sort of start for, who is good enough to start for sure but they can get on a deal that's not going to break the bank at receiver or I could see them going I think they're going to go after Curtis Samuel I would like them to get him uh i don't think they will i'm just gonna lean towards the fact that someone else will get him i think the other Um, thing with samuel is that he's he's a good receiver and he's a good fit for this offense but people he's a gadget guy i mean that is i don't i don't think joe douglas is gonna i think he's gonna get paid a lot of money because there's a lot of teams that would need a player like curtis samuel i don't think joe douglas is gonna shell you know shovel out 13 million dollars a year for curtis samuel i just don't see it i think if he's gonna go big at receiver you know a guy like that I think he goes with a guy like Juju, who is a great gadget guy, but is also has proven that he can be a legit yeah. receiver in this league. So I think a receiver, they'll probably go with a mid-range sort of guy. I could see Rashard Higgins, Nelson Aguilar, a guy who's sort of a deep threat to complement Mims. Because I think Mims is your prototype X guy, you've Crowder in the slot, and then you can get a good deep threat. And then you have one of each, and you can sort of be creative in the draft with who you get. Uh, so I, I feel like that's a sort of sign they might make receiver. Uh, you could also go with Kendrick Bourne, who's a pretty versatile guy. He could do a lot of different things to you. So I think you're going to get a starting linebacker who's not too cheap, probably a wide receiver three, maybe deep threat receiver. Definitely think they're – not definitely, but I do think they'll get uh, Tooney at guard. Um, and then on the on terms of the secondary at cornerback, that's where it gets interesting. Yeah, but I don't I – mean... I, I don't think there's there's really no one who's a big deal sort of – worthy cornerback that we should even think about them considering because that guy just isn't there maybe william jackson maybe shaquille griffin but they're not gonna go after that guy they're gonna sign one of the they're gonna get a veteran um whether it's richard sherman one year whether xavier rhodes is out there there are some other guys michael davis is a guy who i like from the chargers who's not a veteran one-year deal guy he's 
younger in his prime, but sort of like Nicholas Morrow, I don't think he's going to get paid too much because he's he doesn't have a great track record of interceptions, Pro Bowls, all those things, but he's a guy who's played quite a bit and he's in his prime and has put up really good coverage numbers. So he's a guy who you might be able to get on a multi-year deal who doesn't get paid a ton per year. Um, so, but overall going through these, there aren't a ton of spots where I feel great about them signing one of the big names. The only one where I do think they will is that guard. But other than that, I think they're going to sort of look for the good value guys who are younger, good players, but aren't superstars and can be had who can fill the weaknesses they have while not breaking the bank too much. I do feel like that's the route they're going to go. Yeah, I mean, not a super conservative route, like Pierre Desir last year, um, some <laughs> doing nothing at edge, but re-signing Jordan Jenkins. Not to that extent. Right. But guys like Morrow are guys you can sign who are good, are upgrades, are in their prime, but they're, they might not be, you know, Levante David or Allen Robinson or guys of that caliber, but they're upgrades and they're good and they're good values. And that's how you could plug a lot of holes and make your team better while not putting too much in one spot. So I think we're going to see a lot of those signings, not as conservative as last year's Desiers and re-signing Jordan Jenkins and things like that, but a little more aggressive than that, but not all the way other right. than at guard. Yeah, I think at corner, um, I think they go with either Williams, Poole, or, or Desmond King in the slot. And then I think you're right with a veteran. I think Xavier Rhodes is interesting because he's a guy that really benefited from switching to a zone system last year. Yep. And the Jets are going to run a lot of zones. So I think he makes a lot of sense. Davis is interesting because he's so young and because he actually has succeeded. Ultimately, And the- he's played in the same scheme as well because he played under Gus Bradley, who right. comes from the same background. So I think Dave, I think they'll be in on Davis. But ultimately, though, I think they go with one of the former Niners corners. I think it's either Verrett or Witherspoon. I think that they bring them in and then they look to the draft um, for probably round two, if they, especially if they pick up a second with with Darnold to draft a guy um, that can come in and, and push him. Um, so yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it, it fits Douglas's mo. I think he'll be aggressive at Tooney, and then I think everything else he's probably going to be um, pretty tempered. He might throw his, his name in the hat, uh, you know, for guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, maybe an edge like Carl Lawson shakes free or somebody like that. But I think you're right. I think it's going to be quantity over quality. All right, Michael, that's going to do it for us. Uh, Another edition of the CYJ Mailbag. We'll be back next Monday with a new podcast um, and just getting inching ourselves closer towards free agency. It's an exciting time when when you haven't hit free agency or the draft yet and the the opportunities are endless. We'll get a lot better picture of this team uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, you can follow myself at Ben W. Blessington. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania. You can follow the podcast at CYJ Pod. Uh, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Jets X Factor, which is the best place to go for Jets content. That's going to do it for us. Michael, any last thoughts before we get out of here? Um, I just think we're all going to, in a few weeks, come away really impressed with what Joe Douglas has done in free agency. Um, I I mean, we always do rationalize it to an extent, but I think that's just the thing. I don't think we're going to have to rationalize it this year. I think he's going to upgrade this team substantially, but in a way to where it makes sense financially and in terms of scheme fit, in terms of age, all these different things. I think a lot of boxes are going to be checked. All right, I'll hold you to that, Michael. Thank you for listening. And as always, folks, don't get just Looks right, fires a bomb down the right sideline again for Mims. What a catch by Denzel Mims.